he's a he's a good one. I think a lot of him and his family. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn over to First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. We're going to be looking at uh, this first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, and kind of it's going to be kind of a well, it is instructions for us as a church, as the church. He's given us some instructions on what to do, what not to do. I'm going to have to work on this. It is mashed all to pieces. This letter by Paul to the Corinthian church was written around 54, 55, 56 A.D., so about 1,600 years or so. It's, it's been a while since he wrote this, and it still rings true to the church today. There are problems inside churches. There are good things going on inside our churches. There are bad things that go on inside our churches. And this is what's going on with the church of Corinth as well. They've got some good, they've got some bad. Paul's really calling or writing them to address the bad that's going on. Now, the church had three well-known pastors at the time that, you know, because Paul had, had planted this church. They had Paul, they had Apollos, and they had Peter. And, and so they had some good sound doctrine but as any church would have they kind of fell away from it and they got to idolizing and things like that we'll talk about it later but it was made up of members of 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 society from all different levels but it wasn't like the higher end people that you would think of the the way that the church had grown it was kind of tailoring to and i like this the not so rich the not so smart and the uh, the not so noble at birth because some uh, some of the churches back then would only cater to certain people, and this one did not. This one had what? This one had doors like most churches should have those doors. All are welcome, and you come in. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or not. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate in theology or a doctorate in, as a medical doctor or a veterinarian. It doesn't matter. All doors are open. All doors are are, are all churches are are open to whoever wants to come in and worship God. And this church was one of those that kind of tailored more to the the lesser-known people, the ones that were not as well off. This letter is what we would call an occasional letter. This letter was written because something was going on. So Paul, of course, we know Paul being a missionary, Paul would write letters back to churches that he had started and he'd give them kind of a, a briefing of what's going on. It's kind of like the, the Conrads will send us a letter. It's usually every other month, I think. We get it every other month. They'll send a letter to let us know what's going on in the ministry. And he would also send out letters to those when it was time for support. If there was a need coming, if there was something going on where he knew that he was going to be planning another church or he was going to be running into a need financially or, or just a prayer need, he would send a letter out to these churches saying, hey, I'm going here, I'm doing this, if you can support me, that'd be great. But this letter right here that he wrote is what we call an occasional letter because word had got back to Paul that this church in Corinth that he, that he had planted, there were some things going on that needed to be addressed. They needed some guidance, they needed some leadership from this man of God that started this church. And so he wrote them a letter back, and he started this letter out to, to help correct any problems that were going on inside that church. He included praise. He did it the right way, 
He started out with some praise, saying, good job, attaboy, you got these things going right. He, he started out on a good note. But then if you, you read on into it, and we will here in just a moment, there's a moment where Paul, in his own way, says, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, there's some bad things going on here. Church, we've, we've got to get back on our feet. And then he addresses those four major problems, and those is what we're going to look at today is those four problems that they had. A lot of us in our communications with others will address the issue the same way Paul addressed the issue. And I like the way he did it. First, he gives a salutation. He gives a, br a brief explanation. He gives a, a brief, how do you do? He opens up gently, kindly. He opens up with grace. That's the way that we are to do that. It's the same way, just same way at home or at work. If something's going on, and, and I, I always wondered, you know, like, especially if the girls are calling me and they say, how's your day? I'm like, oh, how much do you need? That's, that's the first thing I think. How's things going? How's work? Was you busy? Oh, by the way. Or, and it's the same, you know, with, with Maria. I might call Maria and say, how's things going at the house? Or how's things going at work? How's the kids? Blah, blah, blah. We need to talk. So that's kind of the way this letter started out with Paul. Hi, how's it going? How are the kids? How's the church? How's everything going in fellowship, Paul? How's the nursery? Blah, blah, blah. We need to talk. That's how he started it out. He was polite. He had grace. But then he cut to the point, and he wanted to make sure he nipped it, nipped it quick. That's how Corinthians opens up. We're going to look at what was right and what was wrong inside this church at Corinth. And we'll make sure that we, we mind the Word of God and that we don't fall into the bad stuff that goes on inside our churches. If you've got your Bible turned open to 1 Corinthians 1, stand with me. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Suthanus, our brother, unto the church of God which is, in, is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given, by, or given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance, and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. 
Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of, of Paulus, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for this message this morning. And I pray, God, that it would touch us as individuals, as a church as well. Uh, Father, things are, are going well. Lord, I just thank you so much for where you're working here at the church. And I pray, God, that we keep focused and make the main thing the main thing, keeping it the main thing. God, I pray that we not allow the world to draw us uh, away. And I pray, God, that it not catch your eye, but, God, that we just stay focused on you, your word, the kingdom. And, Lord, I pray that we stay focused on leading those that are lost to salvation. God, I thank you again for what you're doing, and I pray, God, you'd bless this church. Those that make it up, God, and bless this time that we have together. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. The first thing I'm going to look at this morning, we're going to, it's just two parts. Number one, number two. Number one, what we're going to look at is the good things that happened. The good things that were brought up that, that uh, Paul was making sure that we, that he told them so that he didn't want to just start out mean. He didn't just want to start the conversation out rough. He wanted to give them praise, give them Give him a little bit of grace before he gets into the meat of the situation. So he's nice to him. So the first thing we're, talk, we're going to look at is the high praise for the Corinthians. Verse 4 starts out with the high praise of God's grace. God's grace. He wanted to make sure that he started gracefully. He wanted to make sure that he started out with a, a mouthful of grace. But he also wanted to make sure that the, the church at Corinth knew that about God's grace and how God's grace had applied to them because he had been graceful to them. God's grace was abundant to the church of Corinth. Look at who the first three uh, pastors were for that church plant. You have Paul, you have Apollos, and you have Cephas, which is Peter. So God blessed that church greatly with three great men of God right off the bat. So he was a graceful God, is a graceful God, but he had showed his grace and his mercy upon that church by, by blessing them with three great evangelists. Grace, again, is the undeserved favor and blessing of God. We don't deserve God looking on us and, and blessing us and giving us his favor. It's undeserved. Grace is undeserved. We don't deserve anything that he gives us. If you look at, at us, as, as we preached about a couple weeks ago, you know, we're full of sin. We're full of sin. And because we are, are sinners and full of sin, we don't deserve what God gives us through grace. But because of love, He bestows His grace upon us. And we need to be reminded of that a lot. We, we tend to forget about what grace is and, and why we get it and how we get it. Now, the Corinthian church has experienced the grace of God. We've seen that. They knew about receiving favor and blessings of God. Again, through their preachers, they received it. Through the preaching, 
They received it through the, the growth of the church. Now, again, the, gro- the church had grown. This is one of the first ones that had been planted and started in, uh, with Paul, and it, had, it, just, it, it, it just blossomed. So God used this church in a great way, and so they got to see this grace. They knew about receiving favor and blessing. Most churches do. When you see church growth, when you see churches, uh, uh, you know, growing, not just nickels and, and noses, but when you see uh, the church where you see salvation coming into those that are lost, that's where we get to see a lot of God's grace, and, and it's evident in our churches. I'm getting ready to get some help up here. Verse 5 through 7 talks about the enrichment of God. And this is one of those verses, or two, three of these verses here, that I, I really enjoy looking at. The enrichment of God. I think enrichment is, uh, is an upgrade. If you look at the word enrichment, the way I think about it is upgrade. God had upgraded inside that church. Oh, going to get some help. God's grace upgraded the Corinthian church in every way. They experienced God in ways that they had never experienced before. So it went from just having good church services or having church services to God just pouring out his blessing and his grace upon these churches. And so things got upgraded, got enriched. Things got good inside the church. It got sweeter. The fellowship got great. It got gooder. It got so sweet that that they didn't know how to, to or what to do with it. They wasn't used to it. There was great things taking place inside the church, and they just wasn't, wasn't used to it. I don't know what you're doing, but be careful. Paul points out that the, there's two areas that they were specifically enriched in and upgraded in, speaking and knowledge. Those two things, speaking and knowledge. Now, when you talk about speaking, it's talking about all the spiritual gifts involved in speech and which, speaking, which would be gifts of prophecy and gifts of teaching. I can only imagine the teaching that took place inside the, the church here at Corinth, especially in the early days. They were so on fire. I mean, they were just, you, Paul had come in, you know, again, you had Apollos and you had Peter, and so they had some great men of God, and so they were on fire for the Lord. And so the teaching there and the preaching had to be just spot on. It had to be exciting to be there. And then you got knowledge. This is the, the spiritual gift of understanding truth and, and doctrine. I think he scared himself. It, it is a long way down when you're not used to it. This enrichment really makes the problems of the church at Corinth even worse sometimes. So I can, I, can, I can say this one way, and I hope you understand it, but because God had continued to pour out his blessings and, and show his grace on this church, the church got the big head. They kind of they got the big head. They kind of got... Uh, self-centered in a way that did not please God. And we read because of this letter back to Corinth that it did not please Paul as well. I want you to think about a, a church plant. So because the Baptist Association here has the church plant over in Aviemore over in Scotland, you know, that's one, of, uh, that's one of the things that we don't want to hear back from, from Brother Kenny over there in, in Scotland is the fact that 
the church is growing and we just don't need you anymore. Or the church is growing, it's getting, it's just, things are, what we think of is, are going great and we just, we just want to cut ties with you. We don't want to hear that. We want to keep a close contact, not with just, you know, Brother Kenny and, and Abby Moore Church Plant, but with the congregation as well. We don't want them to get the, the big head. We don't want them to get self-centered. We want to we partner with them and keep them going in the gospel the way that God wants them to go in the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter back to them because he hears that they've gotten the big head. They're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. They're self-centered. They knew the nature of God, but the church experienced more problems later on than they did praise. And that's dangerous. And my prayer for the churches is that we don't get in that same boat, that we understand on our, we don't understand uh, the way that they understood it. I can't really make this make sense. I've sat there yesterday and tried to figure out how to word this properly so that y'all don't think badly of me. But I never want to see a church get into the same boat as the Church of Corinth got into. Self-centered, big-headed, don't need God, don't need pastors. We can do it on our own. I don't ever want to see a church get like that. That's dangerous. And that's okay for, I don't mind God shutting the doors on those churches because God has been pushed out of that church. The world has been able to come into those churches. The devil has been able to come into those churches. And so if God sees fit to shut that door, shut that door. I'll never argue with him one bit about that. We don't want to be like that church. Verse 8 shows the high praise of the security of each believer. Now, I like this one. Because it's talking about the security of the believer. Not the security of the church, but the security of the believer. As Christians, then and now, we are secure. We are secure in our salvation. They knew back then. We know right now. You can't lose it. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't, even though they were doing some wrong inside the church, and even though as sinners that we are, we cannot lose that salvation. And so he praised them for the way that they, that they promoted that and how they, they preached that and they stuck to that. By the grace of God in the lives of the Corinthian believers, Paul assured them that God would establish them, and this is the words out of the Bible, unto the end. He would establish them unto the end. That means... To death. They threw from now till death, you cannot lose your salvation. After death, we're in heaven, and you have to worry about that. Paul's saying, because of Jesus and the salvation that they received, they will be blameless before God. We need to remember that as Christians. And I think we tend to forget that as well that we're going to be blameless. We think of being here on earth when we sin that, you know, and God judging us, but we need to remember that when we face God one day that when we stand before him, that we will be blameless because of the sacrifice on the cross, because of the salvation that has been given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We will be blameless before God. It's been washed clean. The sin that is on us, in us right now, has been washed clean so that we can stand before God. Because in this body right now, we can't stand before God. In this body, this sinful sin-filled, ragged body that we have, we're not, we can't go to heaven like this. We cannot stand before a just and righteous God in this flesh. 
but because of the blood shed on Calvary for each one of us, we will be able to stand before God blameless. And he's reminding them of that. Verse 9 shows the high praise of the relationship with Jesus. I'm going to read that one more time. I, I like this verse here. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you fellowship with someone, it's personal. It's personal. We fellowship, we have fellowship meals. It's personal. We, we go in and we sit down and we talk. We have a time of fellowship. We laugh and we joke and we cut up and we, we, you know, we, we just have a good time when we're fellowshipping. It's even better time when we're fellowshipping in, in Jesus' name. When we do think, when we come together and have a meal and we're there here at the church and we're having these, these little meals or these little gatherings and Jesus is involved, when we have the Lord involved in it, it just gets even sweeter. It gets even better. But that fellowship that Paul's talking about here, it, he's praising them for it because of who it's with, and it's with Jesus, the fellowship with Jesus, not just one another, but with Jesus. They have this personal relationship with him. And so I would praise you this morning as well, having that personal relationship with Jesus. I can't explain to you the significance and growing in that fellowship with him. I cannot explain to you this morning how great it is for you to continue to grow in that fellowship. It's just like a marriage. Uh, I, look at, I look at a marriage from the get-go. I was trying to think of who's been married the least amount of time here. I guess, I guess it would be Travis and Christy, I think. Yeah, I believe so. But from the day y'all got married until now, you can see a, a difference in each other and your spouse. I mean, that's the way it goes. And I'm not even going to talk about who's been married the longest here. I might get in trouble for that one, but I will go back to me and Maria because this is our 19th year. We've been married 19 years this September. And I can see a difference between me and her from the day that we met to the day we got married until right now. Things change. You mature. Your relationship gets closer and closer. It gets, it gets sweeter through time. And the same way with our Lord, whenever we have that close fellowship, that relationship with the Lord, the more that we study and we read and we pray and we talk and we, we commune and we walk with the Lord, the sweeter the relationship gets, the more in love we get with Jesus. That's what happens in marriage. The longer you're married, the more in love you become with your partner, with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. The same thing with that relationship with Jesus. The more you get into it, the more you get involved in that relationship, the more that you want to learn about this person that you're communing with, the more that you want to learn about this person that has saved your soul, the more in love that you are going to become with him. The Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved. The more you want to learn about Jesus, the more that you're going to want to crack open this book and you're going to want to study, and you're going to, want, you're going to have questions. You're going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> Last week, we had a young man. He's 18 years old. He's out of Marion, and some of y'all probably know the, the church, New Manna Baptist Church down in Marion. Good bunch down there. So this boy that was with us, his dad is the youth pastor down there, and um, he, oh, my law, he was like a 13-year-old. I've never had anybody ask me so many questions in my life. 
and I did not mind answering these questions because it helped me today. It helped me prepare for this today. I want to have that. I want to have what he's got. I want to have that curiosity that he has, that, that thirst that he has. He's starving right now for the word of God. He wants to know as much as possible. He wants to grow as much as possible. As a Christian, I think we can all say we've lost that somewhere along the way. Whether you've been saved for 10, 15, 20, 50, 60, 70 years, along the way, we tend to lose that desire that this young man has. I mean, he's asking some off-the-wall questions. They're legit questions, but they make you think for a while, make you want to study a little bit more. The older we get, in our, in our, especially in our faith, the more we tend to, to reel back and not be as eager to learn. We get complacent sometimes. We kind of get, we plateau in our Christian walk, and it's like we just kind of stop wanting to learn. We stop wanting to commune. We stop wanting, but we feel like we've got what we need. We know we're saved. We know we're going to heaven. Let's just ride this thing out till he calls us home. But that's not what he wants from us. He wants us to have a deep relationship, deep fellowship with him. Learn about him. Walk with him. Talk with him. Learn from him. Love from him. Listen to him. That's what he wants from us. Have that personal relationship with the Lord. Now, we'll go through that. Now we're going to get to part two, and that's the problems in the church. Paul addressed four problems in this church. Four problems. I'm sure there was a lot more than that, but it never made it to him. There was four that he addressed. The first one was the problem of rejected authority. Rejected authority. I think I've said this here before, and, and I'll say it again, but Sometimes I have a problem with authority. I don't like for people just to flat out tell me, no, you ain't going to do that. I have a problem with that sometimes. If you come to me and you've got grace with it and you say this is what I think or this is what I feel like this is the way we need to go or this is what we need to do, I'll listen to you. But if you're really blunt with me and say, you ain't doing that, I'm going to reject that authority. Well, here's the problem that this church had. They rejected authority and this is not the typical way if you start looking at verse one right here and i'm gonna go back to it it says paul called to be an apostle of jesus christ through the will of god if you look at the way that he starts that out this is not your typical way that an author would start a letter out it's a little bit different he would have stated his name of course that's what we'd start out with but he would not have defended his title like paul did he says paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. He started off stating that he is an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. He started that out, and there's several times throughout Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians, that he does that. He starts out with his authority there. He, uh, 1 Corinthians 9-1 starts out, he says, I am not... It's going to be a, real, a rough day. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? 
Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? One of the problems with the Corinthian church is they rejected the authority of Paul, the one who planted the church. They rejected his authority. Now, again, they had Paul, they had Peter, they had Apollos, they had some great preachers. But somewhere along the way, they started rejecting it. Somewhere along the way, when they got the big head, they started to reject Jesus, or re- reject the authority of Paul. And when a church begins to reject the authority of the Word of God and the man of God, then we have problems. It opens up a door for a lot of issues. I, I'm not, it ain't so much the man of God as the Word of God. When the church starts rejecting the authority of the Word of God, when they start trying to tailor God's Word to fit their life instead of their life being convicted, that's, what I, that's the word I'm looking for, instead of their life being convicted by the Word of God, when they try to change things around, there's going to be a big old problem. There's going to be a huge problem inside that church. And this is what Paul's trying to address right here. That, that authority rejection. A great number of problems that are found in, the, in churches today, and especially the church of Corinth that we're reading about, can be traced back to the issue of rejected authority. And that gets you in trouble. That's the root of many problems in the churches today. We reject the authority of the Word of God over the church, and then things go south from there. Secondly, there was a problem with disunity. Look at verse 10 again. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We are called to be in one accord. I'm not talking about riding around in a Honda. We are to be together, like-minded, in the things that we go. I cannot, oh, it's, it's difficult to be within a group of believers that are not of like mind, that are not in one accord. It, it makes it rough. When it comes to theology and things like that, we, that was one of the, the things that we had talked about last week, especially with that, that uh, young man out of New Manna, as there wasn't about five or six of us out of 56 that were King James. And so we go into these places and we start reading the Bible. We couldn't keep up with them because we didn't know where they was at. No, nothing matched. We were not in one accord. It made it pretty difficult. There was scripture missing. We won't talk about that. We were not in one accord. When you're not in one accord, when the church is not in one accord, it will fall apart. When we are not of like minds, when we have not put Jesus as the head of the church, we're going we're gonna to struggle. Big time. Not only could they not get along with leadership, but they could not get along with themselves. And that's when a church, when the church members cannot get along, it makes it so difficult. It makes it difficult among the members. It makes it difficult for the pastor. It just it makes it difficult in the community. It just all around can make it difficult. There's no greater harm to the witness of the church than when there's disputes, there's quarrels going on inside the church. It reflects. And it makes it hard for new members to want to even come in. It makes it hard for visitors to even come in. I don't want to go to that church because so-and-so and so-and-so are, are getting into it all the time. 
I'm sure it wasn't the same back then as it is now because nowadays you got social media. And before the church lets out, everybody in, in, in the community knows what's going on because they're back there posting it. As much as we want to keep it in the church, it never happens. Before long, the outside is going to know, and it's not going to be good. Paul's saying it's important that as a church, we be of the same mind, like-minded, and having a mind and judgment of Jesus. That's what he's trying to explain to them. He says, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When there are decisions that need to be made, when there are issues that need to be resolved, our personal preferences, and here's what you need to remember, our personal preferences should never come into play. Only what is the heart of Jesus. doesn't matter what we think. doesn't matter what we feel personally. It's what, what matters is what does the Bible say about the situation. What does the Bible tell us that we should do about the situation? What does God tell you about the situation? How should you handle it? That's what matters. Not personal preference, but what God says. We need to keep, always keep that in mind. Third thing, we see the problem. Now, these were big words. And every single commentary I had wrote this the same exact way. And I thought, well, I guess I better use this. We see the problem of superior spirituality. Superior spirituality. That's verse 11 and 12. Or no, just 12, I'm sorry. Talks about this. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ. Now notice how this verse is phrased. Now this I say. Everyone in the church at Corinth was exalting some former minister of the church. I've been there, and man, it stinks so bad. <laughs> when I was at Beach Valley, bless them, I came in right after, let's see, well, we won't talk about the one between me and Preacher Bill, but Preacher Bill Warren was there. Preacher Bill Warren had been there for 25 years. That's a hard one to come in after. They put him up on a pedestal. I'm pretty sure he levitated into his suits on Sunday morning because the way they put him up there. I love that man. I loved that man. There was nobody like Preacher Bill. But that was the problem. There was nobody like Preacher Bill. I'd done everything wrong because it wasn't the way Preacher Bill did it. Even I mean, 25 years. And so we have this church. And I pity the person that comes in after Preacher Ray down at Will Valley. I mean, he's been there 43 years, so. That's big, big shoes to fill. But we have this problem right here with these. I'm going to read it one more time. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. The few who weren't were probably fed up with the other groups that were. The few that were not following those other three preachers were probably tired of them hearing it. Oh, you remember how Paul used to do this? Ah, oh, do you remember how Peter used to say this? Ah, oh, do you remember how Apollos used to teach? And then you had the few that were like, what about Jesus? He's the head of the church. What about him? They were getting tired of hearing about the other three. What they're saying is, we're not under the authority of any man right now, only Jesus. That's the authority in any church. That's the authority is Jesus. The Word of God is the final authority. 
By the way, we're, we're, by that, they were saying that we reject any earthly authority in the church, but they're also saying we reject the authority of the pastor, of the preacher. They were rejecting it all. Each group claimed to have control over the other group. So you have problems when you have these groups, when you have these cliques here and there, and they start rejecting each other. Here's the problem with these groups. They set themselves up as judge of others, so they took God's authority and they granted it to themselves. They gave themselves authority. That, folks, is extremely dangerous. When you feel that you have the power to give you and your group authority. It's a problem when we think that we are more spiritually superior to others. And what that does is it creates disunity, discourse, a gap, issues, hatred, jealousy. All these things, all these sinful things, that's what disunity brings to the church. None of us are greater than the other. Remember Jesus sitting there at the table with the disciples, and they had that conversation. But I want you to remember that at the foot of the cross, the ground is equal. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. It took just as much blood on that cross right there to cover my sins as it did to cover your sins. It took just as much blood on that cross right there to cover your sins as it did to cover my sins. We are all equal. And we need to remember that. That church needed that reminder. We all need to have that reminder sometimes. We are all equal in the eyes of God. Fourthly and lastly, they had the problem of cliques. I can't stand cliques. Verse 13 says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus, and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The problem with cliques and churches is that, that each group thinks they're right. And it's okay to say amen there, just so you know. <laughs> They're always right. All these cliques, everybody's right. There's not cliques in fire departments, are there, Hunter? <laughs> There's not cliques in law enforcement, is there not? Don't answer that. Just, just bite your tongue. Everywhere, it doesn't matter where, where you go, what you... There's not cliques in dentistry, is there, Tabitha? So it doesn't matter where you go. There's going to be cliques. I'm sorry. Folks, that's the way it is. 56 of us sitting there in Jerusalem. We had eight tables. And I tried my best every night that we had supper to not sit at the same table because I didn't want to be part of a clique. I didn't know these people from Adam, but I didn't want to be part of a clique. I mixed it every night I went and sat with somebody different because I didn't want to be a, thought of as one of those cliquey people 
each one wants to wants it their way no matter what it costs the church one of the things i avoid is to be seen in a clique and i think as a christian that's the way that we should all be stay away from the cliques mix it up a little bit go here go there when we have events or whatever mix it up a little bit but don't don't be a part of a clique it creates the question of acceptance by others who aren't in the in the clique or in the church if there's cliques in a church and somebody outside the church looks in and says well that group i, I can't fit into that group i just ain't gonna go i can't fit into that group right there i'm, I'm just not gonna go. i'm not smart enough to be in that clique i ain't got enough money to be in that clique i don't drive the right truck to be in that clique my house ain't good enough to be in that clique i'm just not gonna go to church i'm not good enough to be in that church it destroys the outreach of a church it destroys it we can't get along and so trying to get the gospel message out to build up the kingdom of god it gets stalled inside the churches because of clicks when problems overtake the church that is exactly what happens the cross of christ is made of none effect that's what paul tells us right there the last part of verse 17 lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. With cliques, with division, with separation inside the churches, the gospel's not going to make it. There, there is no great commission being fulfilled inside our churches because a church is one, in one accord, one group. There's one. And it takes all of us to make it happen. We all have different gifts we all have different callings inside the church that make this happen and we know that jesus is the head of it we all have different things that we can do to build up the gospel but until we realize that it's one group and not many different individual groups we're not going to get very far the gospel's not going to advance the message of the cross is not a priority when there's cliques involved, when there's small groups involved. That's why we should go to great lengths to keep the unity in the church. That's, that's what Paul is trying to tell them right here. Go to great lengths. Do the best that you can to be in one accord and stay in constant unity with one another. And I believe, I believe that a lot of churches nowadays need to hear that. I ain't saying this church. I think we're doing pretty good. I think there's a lot of churches out there that need to go back and read 1 Corinthians 1. There's too much division. There's too much disunity inside the churches. And the church is falling apart. And the gospel is not getting spread. Stand with me. We're going to close out. It's a, it is good to be back here, and I appreciate the prayers for, for our travels and, and all that, and I hope Anthony didn't scare anybody off. I, I don't know who I was here, but I appreciate him filling in. And um, uh, just, We're getting ready. We're leaving here in just a minute. We're going back home to uh, – we're having a, a, a gathering today. Uh, today's my nephew's 15th birthday, and um, – my sister and brother-in-law are going to have a, a thank you party for 
some of the, for, for the I think for the farmers that took over while while we was all busy grieving, and so they're having a little get together here about two o'clock to to thank them. And um, of course, my sister. Sometimes I wonder if she loves me or hates me because she asked me to speak, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but just pray for for us all today. It's going to be a difficult day. I know that. Anybody have anything on their heart before we close out? Prove them wrong in a good way. Okay. Okay. And you put something on. Yes. Well, what we're going to do, um, that's how we're going to close out. Is, uh, we're going to close out in prayer. And I'm, I'm going to ask you all to come up here because I'm going to pray for Carmen. I've done those. I've actually physically done those in the field, and it is dangerous. And so I'd like to pray for Carmen um, and for, what was it? Holston. Thank you. So I'm going to pray for them too specifically tonight and that's, or today, and that's how we're going to close out. We'll close out here at the altar and pray for them too specifically. So if you all will, come on up here, and we're going to pray for them two youngins. Father God, this morning as uh, we come together together as a church, we're united together at this altar today. Lord, we come to you with special objects on our heart. Lord, each one of us has something that we need to bring to you. There's something that's burdened us down, God, that's, that's preventing us from truly, wholly worshiping you, God. And I pray today that we can just leave it here at the altar. God, in front of you, God, take this away from us so that we can love you and we can worship you. God, we can fellowship, we can commune, we can have a closer walk with you. And God, as we approach this throne of grace this morning, God, we're going to lift up two precious children to you. God, as Holston is there in Chicago, Lord, there with the family, with those doctors, it already sounds like your, your touch is already being felt. And I pray, God, that they continue to look at these results that were given to them down here, and they can just reject those. God, and say that everything is looking good and that that child will be able to come back home with no issues. God, we thank you for what you're doing right there, right now. And Lord, just give that family some support and some comfort. Let them know that they're being loved here in Avery County. And we love them here at the church. And God, for sweet little Carmen, she's there having that drained off of her lungs at the moment. God, I pray that you would be with that those doctors, those nurses, God, I pray that that environment would be good and sterile. God, I pray that environment, God, would be just as clean as it could be because this is, it is a dangerous thing that can be done. And I pray, God, that you would remove that 
fluid from her lungs right now. God, I pray that there'd be no need for any more medical advancements, God, because your hand is on her at this moment. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Tim and Emily as well and that family. Lord, uh, I know it's got to be emotional for them, and I pray, God, that you would comfort them this morning and just let them know how much we love them here at the church and how much you love them there in heaven and that you're going to take care of her. You're going to take care of both these children because they're precious in your sight. They're precious in our sight, and we love them. And we thank you again this morning, God, for giving us an opportunity to come to you together as one and bring these petitions to you. We love you and we praise you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.